Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. It's interesting when you start looking at this song and some of the depth of what it's talking about. It's saying, Jesus, Messiah. Now, in case you're not sure that word Messiah, it was an Old Testament reference and title for this was the coming one. And so the Old, Old Testament actually looked forward to, and the Jewish people, they use this word Messiah. He's the one who's going to fulfill all the promise right from Genesis coming on through. And here we're saying, Jesus, he is that Messiah, and he's a name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, another name that's actually prophesied again. So it's, it's almost hard to dig into unless you have some of that background, but these are both giving reference and back to these specific promises that all of these Jewish people would have been looking forward to and saying, Yes, that is the answer. Like, we're holding in under the, the, the Old Testament law and all this, but we are looking forward to this and this, the rescue for sinners. That's what the person of Jesus is. And we're going to be talking a lot this morning about specifically change. And, and there's going to be an account here in Acts 19 that really talks about some who changed and what it looked like, but then also some who resisted that change. But this is the substance of it. It's the fact that Jesus is our Messiah, that he is the only one that is the solution to this sin. It's not us just doing this outward change, but it's being changed from within with this truth, that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, came down and therefore he could be that ransom from heaven. He could pay that the way no one else could. And that affects the change that we're going to talk about this morning. But I just... To have that line up, I, I just wanted to point that out. That was rolling through my head as we were singing that. But let's go forward. And because I, once I get my slides back into where we're going to start, I want to start with this question, though. Have you ever witnessed or experienced a change that changed everything around you? Because if we look back in history, there's been several different things that have done that. You look at the discovery of America, I know from the European perspective, but like that totally reshaped the thinking and the possibilities directly for us because most of us in this room have some kind of a European heritage. Totally reshaped the world. Look at space travel, for example. Definitely re-changed like the perspective and idea there is something bigger than just me as an individual. But it's not always been just big things that affected change that way. An invention, a printing press. It is simply you know, a box, and it was the fact that we can use these plates and we can reproduce print. One of the biggest changes in the history, because it meant we could preserve truth, it changed access to that truth, and access to an idea. It went from being only the elite that could afford to have a manuscript and something in front of them to the common people. got to say, Looking in this room, most of us were, were probably among the common people. That type of change meant the difference of us having access to truth. Think of a telephone and how fast that we can have communication back and forth across this continent. My parents live in eastern Canada. That's actually two hours difference in time zone. Very long ways apart. But I can pick up my phone and call them. I just have to be concerned that I don't wake them up because, again, two hours difference. Things change. Have you ever witnessed anything 
that changed everything around you. And sometimes, though, people don't necessarily embrace that change. If you look back in history, this is the case here. This is a quote. The Americans have need of the telephone, but we do not. We have plenty of messenger boys. Sir William Presence, Chief Engineer, British Post Office, 1876. The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. President of the Michigan Savings Bank advising Henry Ford's lawyer, Horace Rackham, not to invest in Ford Motor Company. Television won't be able to hold any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. We resist change, even up to this. There is no chance the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. Steve Ballmore, Microsoft CEO. No matter when we live and how fast things change around us, it is very common for us to resist change. It, it, it's very prevalent. There's some who are more quick to embrace change and that. What we're going to look at this morning in this passage as we dig into it, we're going to look through and we're going to see some change that happened. But we're also going to see a couple of other groups that specifically resist that change and they want nothing to do with it. Now, I've got to also confess, like as we're looking through here, this, this, is, this story kind of winds a little bit. So as much as we're going to try and dig through it and find a truth in the midst of it, keep that in mind, that our main point this morning, as we're going through this, we're going to touch on a couple of things, but we're going to come back to this idea of change. What brings about change? Whether we resist it, whether we embrace it. So with that in mind, let's start. This is in Acts 19, sort of picking up where Matt was, Pastor Matt was, then last week. He was talking with this group that had not known anything about the Holy Spirit, but they accepted the Holy Spirit and they were changed. And then it picks up with this next verse. And the he here would have been Paul, the Apostle Paul. And when he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. And here the way is another term of the gospel. They were speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with them and reasoning daily in the hall of Tinius. So he shares the truth with them, but not everyone accepted it. But yet there were some who absolutely accepted it. And in verse 10, it says this. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, and both Jews and Greeks. The truth as it was proclaimed here, the gospel. And that truth we were just talking about, Jesus, the fact that he was in fact the Messiah. That's exactly what it was. And there was a group of, in the synagogue there, these Jews, they had seen all of this. They were completely aware of that concept of a Messiah of Emmanuel, the one coming to fulfill all these promises, but yet stubbornly refused this. But yet, even still, there were some, and the truth did change. And we're going to see then also 
that it was enough of a change that it started to scare people. It threatened their, their livelihood. But carrying on a little further, we're going to see here a display of power. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And at this point, you may be saying, huh? I've got to say, I, this seems bizarre. This is not actually commonplace in the Bible as you're reading through. Like even someone who's very aware, it's... Um, <laughs> Notice a couple things though. Our author here is recording a series of events Nowhere is in here is he saying, this is what you need to replicate. This is what I want you to do. But he's requiring, this happened. It's important for us at this point to realize miraculous things do and can happen. But at the same time, they're not commonplace. If they were commonplace, they wouldn't be something significant, miraculous, and showing the distinct power of God at work. I do believe that it was more prevalent here in this time before they had the completed Bible than it is today. Uh, in part because as we have more truth combined together and accessible, a specific miracle like this to say, yeah, that's real, is not as necessary. But even as I say that, though, I want you to be aware. Like, we as Christians shouldn't just discount the idea of miracles or the, that miraculous can happen. We should not sell short the idea that God is able to work. We're not wrong to... Pray over the sick. We're not wrong to ask that God, would you intervene here and now? I would say, though, I do not think it's wise for us to look for Matt's handkerchiefs and take those to the hospital and say, this is our plan of action. Just don't, no, I don't, I don't recommend it. The other part is if, if and I, this, Matt would never do this, but yet, if someone then is trying to sell you a $100 prayer mat, uh, I would resist that as well. We, we don't have any basis for demanding God to work in this way. It's never in scriptures laid out, this is what you should do, and demand it, expect it, that expectation. It's never placed there that way. But we do have specific instances that point to how great God is and say, this is our God. He is able to do abundantly and more than we could ask or think. But carrying on further, these events, and it was just, we then had this. And God displays his power here. Um, didn't move forward. There we go. And people magnified Jesus. Here, we're going to see some people attempt to imitate what Paul was doing. And it didn't go well. Verse 13, it says this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now notice, before we go further, as to a couple things. These are not, not believers who are doing this. These are individuals who are probably similar to Simon the Magician back in, I think it was chapter 8, where they were looking to take advantage of what was happening. And it's like, if I just use these magic words... I'm going to get this result. That's what's happening here. It's an imitation, but the fact is, it's a cheap imitation. And let's see where it happens and what happens with it. Verse 14 says, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceviah 
were doing this, and we don't know whether this was a legitimate high priest or someone simply claiming that title, but this is what happened. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Any time that you go into a fight and you run away with less clothes than you started, you did not do well. It just, again, I, I, I was telling you, this, this story does curve a little bit, and it touches on some things, and you say, huh? Let's come back to here. What, what is the point? Why would they record this in this way? It's because Jesus was magnified. They saw something happen, and it's like, I want a part of that. But they were attempting then to have this change or take advantage of this without having the real substantial truth and change. They were simply impersonating as opposed to embracing this truth and the idea. They were looking to take advantage of it. But what we do see, when people saw and heard of this, they recognized what was going on. And this is what it was in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What we saw here is you had this cheap imitation versus the real impact that Paul was having. When you put these two next to it, then you begin to see, ah, I can see and understand and appreciate what really was going on here. The, the best illustration that comes to my mind is, have you ever shopped for diamonds? Until I was shopping for my wife's engagement ring, I hadn't really given much consideration. And I thought, oh, a diamond is a diamond is a diamond. Well, they, some are very expensive, some are cheap. I don't want to pay more than I have to. And so the salesman is saying, no, but there's clarity of this. And then there's um, light, and then the, there was three. three and I, I don't remember them all right at the moment. And I thought, um, this is just a sales pitch, right? But when they bring out the display, and they actually have it for the purpose, when we, sit, when we talk about clarity and some are better than others, here's this row of diamonds. And on this end, you can see foggy, better, better. And then you look at this one. That's different. And when you put it side by side, okay, no, there is truth to what you're speaking. And when you have that comparison, when they talk about the clarity, when they talk about the cut, when they talk about the carrots, I didn't remember them, um, there's, there's something to it. In the same way, when we look at this, them even making that cheap imitation or attempt brought clarity to what the truth was and what that power of change really was. But I want to remind you here, as I'm urging you then to think about change, the change doesn't start with us. It starts in the same way that they went back and said in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. It started with a work. And that's why even in the context of this chapter, remember it started with this idea that this group of believers got a hold of the idea that the Holy Spirit was something real and genuine and that I need that. That brought about change. And then it follows with this context and this discussion. And through this narrative, we see a, we steer a very strong illustrations of change and lack of change. 
doesn't come before the one. It starts with Jesus, starts with that change. Apart from that, the rest of these changes that we're going to talk about, we don't just do it on our own. So let's pick it up going back in then. So he says, then they really did have change here. And also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Here, this is a case of believers. So these are individuals who have already heard and understand Jesus, and it's like, wait a second. If this is truth, and then I saw the comparison between the cheap imitation and the real thing, it brought about change among these believers to the point in which these old things, these old desires, they're not the way. They're not the truth, and they ought not to be. When you talk about the idea here of 50,000 pieces of silver, because of inflation and other things, it's difficult to say, for example, that range is anywhere between many thousands of dollars, possibly as much as a million dollars. This is significant. And you're saying, why would they do that? When they began to realize, when something that is in my life as a believer does not match up with Jesus and the way of Jesus, then it needs to change. It needs to go. But that's why I have stressed repeatedly here, this, this change we're talking about here, this is in the heart of someone who is already following Christ. Because that's where it changed. Because if you haven't got to that step, that's the discussion you need to have right now. Have I understood who Jesus is in the person of Jesus Christ? But if you have understood and said, that is where I am at, then these are some steps that follow after that. That thought and idea and evaluation of who I am, what I'm doing, how does it line up with that? Because here, when they saw what something was different, they acted. They didn't sell the books. They publicly went out and burnt them. It's not like they were trying to profit off of this change either. It's not like they were then, oh, well, someone else can have this. No, this is not of value. And I want to change. It says there, believers confessed and renounced sin. It's the idea that was going on here. As we go on, though, that not everyone changed. We're going to see some of that. Because here, Paul, now this is just interlude because he's, I say, again, it winds a little bit. He explains where he went. Now, after these events, Paul resolved to, in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. But now we get back to the narrative here, about that time. So some time has passed, this change has happened, but there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Again, concerning the gospel. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. This guy's got a problem. I'll give you again some context for how, what kind of problem this was. This is in Ephesus. There's a temple there to Artemis. And this was supposedly a rock that actually come down to earth and there. 
and they had built a temple and a shrine around it. It, it, it was a big business. This in, the, in Ephesus had become a center for all of like Asia Minor to the point where people were making deposits and loans from this temple. Like a lot of trade, a lot of tourism. And if you were in Ephesus, almost all of your business likely would have had some profit connection to this. So then when Paul comes in and starts preaching another gospel, he's saying, wait a second, that can't line up with Artemis. And here as a silversmith, it threatened his trade. And this is what he says, and this is where he goes with it. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods. Which is true, by the way. But this is what was concerning. He said, Wait a second, I am one of the ones making these idols. You are now threatening my livelihood, my wealth. And he goes on further with that. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be even disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So he's saying, not only you're threatening my livelihood, you're threatening my religion, you're threatening these idols for which I'll have. Then verse 28, And when they had heard this, they were enraged, were crying out, Great is Artemis the of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Articus, Macedonians who were Paul's companion in travel. But when Paul worshipped, wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. You're going to die, Paul. No, this is not a good idea. And even some of the uh, Asiarchs were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one, one, uh, out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they were coming together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, two hours, they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, interesting enough, God uses a town clerk. This is not a believer at this point. This is an Ephesian citizen. Steps in. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Ephesian, uh, of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Thinking, they can't really threaten this. We know this is true. Everyone knows this is true. And seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are councils. Let them bring charges against them. I Go to the court. Go to the law. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today. 
since this is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Okay, that's a lot of information. The context is, though, they were coming together, huge crowd. This um, theater, which they were gathering in, could have held 24,000 people. Like, this size city, it was a very large thing. And it was, the town clerk then was concerned, though, that if we riot, the Roman Empire is actually going to come down on us, and we're going to lose some of the privileges that we have as a city, a self-governing city. That's where his concerns were, not in the change. But what do we see in this? I say we're talking about change. They didn't want anything to do with it. What, and when they were concerned about Artemis. You look today, does anyone recognize Artemis as a god? No, not even in Ephesus. It, it's, it's there as a relic. It's there as a source of tourism. But nobody worships, worships in that way anymore. But yet they were so concerned that this change. Honestly, it reminds me of some of the quotes I started with. No one will uh, watch TV after 60... Six months, they will get tired of watch, looking at a plywood box. The iPhone will never, never have significant market share. They resisted this change. And, and when I look at it, I even think, this is a little bit foolish what they're fighting against. But here's the reality. That's kind of the comparison for you and I. If we're here and we say that Jesus is real, the forgiveness that I have for my sins is real. This has impacted me. Do I live that way? Do I allow that to be a priority in my life? Do I allow that to impact my thinking, my words, my actions? Or do I resist that change? Because in reality, what they were doing here is it was literally a silver idol. Like we don't have idols in that way, that same way. Yeah, we have things that consume our time that we do not want to give up. We have things that consume our desires that we do not want to give up. We have things that bring us entertainment that we do not want to give up. So when I make this comparison for us, let's bring it down to what we really come with. Am I willing to say, this entertainment doesn't line up with that? Or am I willing to say, if I have to choose, because we all have to make choices, between this and going to church, this and reading my Bible, this and praying, this and... I can't look into any of your hearts, your minds today, and say, this is where you're battling. When I was reading through this and thinking through this, several things from me came to my mind you know what? I'm slow in changing this, but why am I slow? It does not make sense. When I make that comparison and put them side by side of that cheap imitation and the real thing, I know that this Jesus is real. I know that it is meaningful. I know it is really more important. But in the moment of decision, we have to remind ourselves of that. In that moment of decision, we are ready to make those same types of statements like, 
The Americans need a telephone. We have many messenger boys. Honestly, though, ask yourself that question. What is it that I'm fighting the change of? Because I can't look in your mind, and I won't. But I do urge you this morning to consider that. I, and, and as I said, I've said many times as we went through this, if you're not to the point of understanding and accepting Jesus, this discussion of change needs to wait, and you need to come back here to this change point first. So, but look, as we gather and finish our wrapper thoughts up, this is some of what we see here. Here, don't discount the miraculous, but don't demand it either. But this isn't necessarily central to somewhere where we were going. But this is. It is God who works, not empty words. We saw what the result was here with those cheap imitation and empty words. If I just put the right words together, I'm going to get whatever. No. It's God who works. But also... True belief brings change. We saw that in the case of these Ephesians. In their case, it was this magical arts. And they're saying, when I look at my life and what real change looks like, this doesn't line up, and I'm burning the books to the tune of several thousand dollars, if not as much as a million dollars. But here's the fact. People resist change. You might even say, I resist change. I'm slow to change. I don't have to be. But I am. But this is the idea and change here. Exalt Jesus and not idols. For us, our idol, you know, it's not going to be some silver idol like they were talking there. But what is the idol that you are slow to change, slow to get rid of? Is it how I use my time? Is it what I allow myself to think on? Is it entertainment that I'm choosing that doesn't line up? You fill that in. But I do want to leave you with that thought. If I know that I need to change, am I pursuing that? And on that thought, Let's close and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are able to work here and now. And we ask for that. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning as we consider where are we at? What decisions are we making? What priorities are we setting? God, give us the strength to pursue you without hesitation. God, give us that desire to pursue you without hesitation. God, please, give us the ability to do that. God, I pray that specifically as we sit here, that you would bring things to our mind. This needs to change. And God, we know that you know. We pray for this. We pray for your strength and grace to pursue this thought and this idea this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.